1: if you recall, in our last show, he shared with us the key findings of a report he co-authored. And the name of that report is assessing the costs uh, for tariffs uh, on the U.S. ICT industry. And he also talked about what kind of a quantitative impact to both the U.S. and the China information and the communication technology, which is the ICT industry, by this uh, U.S.-China tariffs, uh, which started uh, from 2018. That show got a lot of great feedback and attention. So today I invited him back and we want to talk about a a very hot topic, which is related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And Badre will share with us about his latest research in understanding the potential economic impact of COVID-19. So welcome back to the show, Badre.
2: Thank you, Michelle. I'm delighted to be here on the show again. I'm looking forward to our discussion now.
1: Yeah, I know this topic will raise a lot of attention, and I really look forward to hearing from you because you do quantitative modeling, so you will come up with some numbers on this big impact. But before we start, I think it's a good idea to reintroduce yourself to our audience because the session people may come into the interview at different times.
2: Sure. Yeah, I'll reintroduce. Yeah. So thank you, Michelle. Again, I'm glad to be on the show again. And I'm an economist based in Seattle, and I work for a wide range of organizations to whom I'm consulting as an economist. I work with McKinsey, and I'm also consulting with uh, United Nations, World Bank, Asian Development Bank, World Health Organization, ILO, and many other international organizations, and also different governments, including the U.S. government, government of China. Canada and so on. So, and I also have a, a consulting firm named Infinite Modeling, which is again based in Seattle, but also with offices in Canada, China, and India. So, my work has focused on international trade, global economic analysis in particular, but also a wide range of cross cutting issues like trade and energy, trade and environment, labor, health, and several other issues. So, whenever you have a global dimension and uh, economic dimension. Uh, I have worked on many such topics. So uh, yeah, so that is a brief introduction uh, about myself and we can go ahead with the the discussions.
1: Okay. Yeah, today, as I mentioned, we want to really talk about your latest research on economic impact of COVID-19. And you are looking at the pandemic that is happening globally, right? You are trying to quantify what's the microeconomic impact. I'm very excited to hear, you know, what you come up from that. But before we really jump into your model and the results, can you first help us understand the purpose of this kind of work? Because it's a large project looking globally. And maybe in other words, just help us think about How can people or the government in different countries can use this type of work that you are
2: doing? So this kind of work involves understanding the impact of this COVID pandemic on various parts of the economy, both at a macroeconomic level and sectoral level, and uh, evaluate the different policies the governments can pursue to contain the epidemic, and not on, uh, with the pandemic, and not only the pandemic alone, but also the economy as a whole, because this usually the epidemics and pandemics they have very strong health effect, a lot of morbidities, a lot of mortalities happening, but usually restricted to a particular part of the world, particular region, and usually the businesses operate as usual there are not many. Discontinuities in businesses and economy. Whereas in this particular case, we have seen worldwide shutdown. I think most of the listeners of the show would have been facing a shutdown. We all, are, many of us, are working from home, and some of more unfortunate people have lost their jobs or they have shut down their businesses for for some time. So I think in general, this this has a very wide-reaching implications on many things and also leading to a lot of changes and adaptations that people are doing, businesses are doing, and individuals are doing, governments are doing. So this is a very interesting kind of uh, cross-cutting impact across the board that is being created by this pandemic. So in this kind of situation, it is always difficult to come up with numbers because we are going through this at the moment and it is difficult to imagine the impact can happen potentially. So in this situation, while it is challenging to do such analysis, it is also important to do it because we have to understand, given the structure of the economy as it is today, like given how we are all working on, you know, in terms of transactions and so on, how do these disruptions, the different changes happening in different industries, different countries, affect the production, trade, consumption, even the overall GDP, employment, and all these kind of macro variables uh, is very important to at least understand at a high level because it is true that uh, exact drilling down of numbers is going to be uh, difficult but at least we should get a ballpark estimate of what is, what are we staring at and how are these mechanisms working? Why would, for example, a shutdown in one country affect you know, demand in another country? So all these kind of linkages are already available. We have some data sets that already exist. We know how much U.S. is dependent on China, for example. We know how much China is dependent on U.S., how much Europe is dependent on U.S., China. So we have all these dependencies that already exist. And now when you have pandemic related shutdown in one or more of these countries, we can actually track how would the flow of goods and services, how would availability of different commodities, availability of different services across the world will change because of this shutdowns and, and pandemic as a whole. So that is a very you know, high level purpose of the whole kind of research I'm doing. And I'm currently doing this research Partly independently, I'm doing as an academic, I have an affiliation with the University of Washington, Seattle, and I do some independent academic research. So that was a starting point. I started doing it that way. And then I started writing some articles. I've already published some articles on the popular media about this on various topics. Now, based on that, I also got a few requests to official reports, project reports for different organizations like Asian Development Bank, United Nations Conference for Trade and Development and the Commonwealth Secretariat in London and uh, and several other international organizations and governments. So what I'm going to talk today is about a broad research that I've been working on this topic and not necessarily going into any of these individual reports because they are still work in progress. Hopefully, they'll be published soon, and I'll be able to share it with anyone who is interested. However, at this moment, I'm going to talk about the overall research that I'm doing and overall preliminary findings that I got from, a report, from my uh, research. So, hope that that answers your question, Michelle.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I think uh, what you are doing, you know, you have many different parts, and uh, there's uh, the interconnection between these different uh, Different things, right? Maybe it will be helpful for us to understand the uh, linkage between, I believe when you do the research, there's a structure, and how you are thinking about the things. What's the linkage between these different um, parts of the structure of your research before we then dive into uh, each of those uh, details? So in this way, you paint a big picture for the audience to follow you Uh, Okay, this is how you think from this uh, impacting as input uh, getting to this as an output. Can you help us uh, in this kind of logics first?
2: Sure. Uh, In this kind of research, first uh, challenging thing is about the um, where to start and how to think about this whole complex problem. So the first part of our research would focus on introducing the topic and basically coming up with different ways in which the pandemic is affecting the economy, which also means that we have to structure on what are the different channels. So that is the first aspect we'll be talking about. How is the supply side being affected? How is the demand side being affected? How is the trade being affected? What are the different fiscal stimulus and other stimulus policies that the governments are coming up with? And what are the responses by the healthcare industry. So these are the different you know, elements that go into analysis to set the scene, as, as you can say. So basically, it's, it's all about breaking down a very complicated, interconnected uh, problem into different uh, pieces. So that is the first part of our work. And the second part would be to think about the methodology. What are the different methodologies available? What kind of modeling can be done? And when we choose the model, It has to be a model that that is very data-oriented, that has to be very data-intensive, that depends a lot on initial structure of the economy that is captured by the data. And at the same time, it has to have very nice features, theoretical and modeling features that can capture the kind of shocks that we are talking about. We are talking about some big changes to the economy. So we cannot use a model, which is kind of what we can say as static, which is static in the sense that you cannot change the structure. For example, you may have a model where if you say that tourism is completely stopped, it just goes away, then the model may misbehave. The model may get disturbed because you are basically saying that one part of the economy is gone. Uh, So such models may not be useful here because we need a model that is robust, that can actually take big shocks, that can actually understand major shocks that can be fed into the model and come up with very comprehensive results And most importantly, the model should give very useful insights uh, because many times these models uh, appear to be number generating missions, which is actually not the original purpose of these models. These models, like the economy is very uncertain and these models capture some elements of uncertainty, but we cannot actually take all the numbers from the models on their face value. But the most important value added of these models is to give us some insight. So if the models can agree to our understanding of the economy and the business, and on top of that, if they can provide us some additional insights, they can be very good modeling tools. So in that sense, we chose a particular model, which is a global supply chain economic model. And I was involved in the development of the model and the data and it, it, it was developed in Purdue University and where I used to work for almost a decade. And we developed this model using data sets from all over the world and some international data sets, combining all of them and also developing a very detailed uh, framework which captures some elements of behavioral economics and uh, you know international trade, production, consumption and so on. So it's a very robust model. It's called Global Trade Analysis Project. And it's also an open source model. So although right now I'm not uh, in Purdue University, people like me can still use the model and do a lot of research on that. And, and it needs a lot of customization as well uh, when we are working on this kind of very specific kind of projects. So that is the background. So first is about introduction. How do we define the research question and how do we deal with it? Second is about choosing the right model, the methodology. And uh, then the third aspect is explaining the results or what do do you learn from the model, the various results, how is the macroeconomy affected, how are different sectors affected, and so on. And then finally, no such report can be complete without coming up with some implications for business and policy. Okay, you saw all these numbers, you saw all these insights, then what is the bottom line? What can the policymaker do to avoid or reduce such huge losses. And before I start the research, I all of us know that we are pretty much talk, going to talk about something negative. We are going to talk about some big losses to the economies mm-hmm. of the whole global economy. In this situation, the pertinent question would be, okay, I know all this bad news. Let me know what can I do? What, how can I mitigate this problem? How can I minimize the losses? I'm, I know I'm go- I'm, all of us are going to lose. I'm going to lose. How am I going to mitigate the losses? This question can be asked by policymakers. The same question can be asked by businesses. And, and we are addressing both these issues. That will be the closing part of my presentation. So hope you got a picture of going to discuss.
1: That's very helpful. Yeah, I think uh, that uh, helps us to understand the structure of the project that you are working on. And uh, I look forward to diving into it to get uh, more details on what you find out uh, and how is that going to impact the world and what we can do. Before we do that, I think it's time to take a quick break. Uh, We will be back right away.
0: Are you interested in expanding your business to China but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back. Now, let's dive into each of the section of your research. First, let's look into the, what has happened with the COVID-19 outbreak and what's the impact on the economic behavior. Could you please help us understand or maybe give us a very brief summary about that?
2: Sure, Michel. So we have looked at different aspects of economic behavior that is being affected because of this this pandemic. So the first immediate thing that happened long before anything else started way back in January was restriction in terms of, for example, the U.S. decided to restrict flights from China or entry from China. That was probably the first step that was taken. Then subsequently, many countries stopped reducing travel uh, from one country to another. Uh, in fact, I, I myself uh, had a travel uh, late February, early March to South Asia and to India. Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. And although the things were not bad at that time, like in those countries were not affected, but in terms of economy, they were already affected. And uh, this could be a good example of what we are doing. Many of these countries, which are not affected initially, initially it was only China that was, many of these countries are already affected. Why? Because of first tourism that I mentioned, like Chinese important tourists to many countries. If they are restricted, then the tourism gets hurt quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Or maybe even more importantly, China is kind of the manufacturing powerhouse of the world. So if China is shutting down, then the whole world suffers. So when I went to India, for example, and also Bangladesh, I found that they were actually struggling to get a lot of uh, raw materials or intermediate inputs they were sourcing from China. So it's not only US, but also many other countries were affected. And it was not just a minor effect, it was actually already a catastrophic effect. Many of the industries were already laying off. They were laying off, they were not able to, you know, fulfill their commitments in terms of orders. So at that time, demand was there, but the supply was getting affected. So in that sense, the supply was the first disruption. Uh, so that already gives you two aspects. First is tourism, second is a supply-side disruption. Tourism is more of a demand-side disruption and initially tourism was relatively small tourism effort was re- relatively small but later that became huge because pretty much right now globally tourism has is pretty much zero now nobody is traveling anywhere everybody is staying home so that what does that mean that means you know air transportation services get affected P- flights pretty much the, the airports are now you know pretty uh, free there's nothing to do there uh, you know and all the the entire ecosystem, all the employment there is gone for now, and so the, the airline industry is affected hugely, which also means uh, uh, in terms of backward linkages, if airline industry suffers, the aerospace industry suffers.
1: Yeah. If
2: aerospace industry suffers, then the steel industry and the other industries that supply to aerospace industries, they suffer, and so on. So that is that those are all coming from just from tourism, and also the tourists, when they travel from one country to another, they purchase a lot of goods and services. They first stay in hotels are gone, they eat in restaurants, or restaurants are affected and they even go to buy, they even buy some groceries, they buy some local, they do the kind of consumption that the locals do. And particularly if you look at some small countries that are highly tourism dependent, some of the Caribbean islands and so on, they're hugely hit because a lot of their economy depends on tourism yeah so so true. that is so tourism itself is a huge thing secondly supply side disruption is a big issue i already gave you some examples where it's not only the end consumer like in us as end consumers we also suffered in terms of getting a lot of supplies in terms of goods but also the companies the manufacturing firms they also got affected because they were not able to get the the intermediate inputs for example in india is a big manufacturer of drugs and India is also a big manufacturer of textiles and apparel. And Bangladesh is also a big manufacturer there. So one used to think that, okay, these, since China is affected and these countries are not affected, you know maybe a drugs won't be a big issue or textiles and apparel won't be a big issue. However, what happened was in order to produce a drugs, there are a lot of inputs needed like molecules and chemicals and so on. They are produced by China. And because of the supply-side disruption in China, uh, Indian drug companies got affected, and similarly, the textile and apparel industries in India—they needed some all the accessories needed for textiles like plastic buttons, zippers, and so on. There, uh, many of them came from China again, and again they got affected, and you know those kind of supply side disruptions happen. So, so tourism supply side disruptions are two things. The third thing is demand side effect, and this happened. Uh, I'm kind of putting it in a sequential way because tourism was the first to get hit. Supply side was the second to get hit. And because of all the disruptions, companies started laying off. People started losing jobs. So that affected demand. So people have very little money. Where will they go to you know, purchase some of the luxurious things? Even, so that that is a demand side effect initially. Later, when we started doing shutdowns, we just stopped production shutdown across the world, uh, consumption, sh- and, and then people cannot go out and do shopping freely. So in this in this case, it it is even more complicated because people are like initially people were not consuming much because people are losing jobs, they are losing income. But now you have money. There are a lot of middle class people, a lot of people who are in white collar jobs. We are earning good money still. We are getting into work from home and making the same income we are making before, if not more. But we are also not spending much. Why? Because it's shut down we are no not place going out
1: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah we are not we're going stay out at home <laughs> exactly so so this further aggravated the problem right so mm-hmm. so it's not only income driven but it's also spending driven like i'm just like i was talking to one of my friends and we were just talking about our shopping behavior i said you know we are just i mean we do a lot of shopping online in that sense the digital economy is expanding we are doing a lot of shopping online but we're not shopping the kind of things you would shop in a mall when you go to a mall i go without an agenda and then i just pick up things my kids like my family likes we just take some random stuff and we see the bill it's like maybe a couple of hundred dollars and that couple of hundred dollars now i would never spend sitting at home and ordering online right that i mean that that is going to change i mean that behavior is going to change maybe even online we are going to do some kind of miscellaneous shopping and Random shopping, um, and,
1: and even on the business side, the demand uh, is changing, right? Because uh, like service industry I'm in, uh, I provide uh, training those kind of things. But uh, the companies uh, we cannot do face to face training, and uh, everybody's uh, working from home, so a lot of those things uh, being shut down or reduced uh, maybe later, uh, because this is a uh, long term, it's not just something after a couple of weeks, so then we all go back to normal. So maybe later, some of the things can go online, but uh, it totally changed the behaviors.
2: Yeah, exactly. Again, I can give a lot of examples I've, you know, personally faced. So I always say that when I think about COVID, it's one of the rare instances where I'm doing a lot of macro research, but I'm myself directly facing the consequences, right? So like there are many things like US-China trade war, for example, which we discussed last time. I'm doing a lot of research on it and I maybe I'm affected a little bit by that, but not very visibly. Like still I'm getting all the stuff. Maybe I'm paying a few cents more. I'm paying a little more, but I'm not paying attention. I'm just not so much affected. However, when it comes to COVID, I can actually see the impact myself. I'm myself... A data point, right? <laughs> so I'm myself a data point for what is happening. So in this case, I've observed a lot of different things. For example, there are nonprofits and there are trade associations who basically run based on events, events are very important. They have to conduct events, they have to conduct trainings like you mentioned. In-person participation is very important. And I have seen some associations which are actually becoming kind of bankrupt and they're not able to sustain. And these are very well-known associations, institutions. So it's it's very uh, scary uh, from that perspective. Across the board, uh, so right now, like I came in a sequence, like tourism, supply side disruption, initial demand side disruption, And then the the disruption, the the demand side disruption caused due to shutdown and, you know, avoiding gatherings, meeting of people. And so, yeah. So then, then next effect is investment. Investors are withdrawing their investments wherever possible. They are taking away their investments and stopping their plans to invest new things. So all the new investments are on hold now. Nobody wants to invest now. And also, and at the same time, the healthcare industry is expanding. A lot of investments are going into that pharmaceutical sector. A lot of investments are going into developing the drug, the vaccine, and so on. So that is probably a small positive. But however, there also the negative thing is, people are not going to hospitals anymore unless you have covid you don't go to hospital yeah. <laughs> so basically if you have a major other health issues or may even minor health issues I, again i'm i'm a data point here i had a small kind of a hairline fracture in my leg and my foot and then i had to go for some follow up visits perfectly fine now but i had to go for some follow up visits to make sure it's all good but i decided to skip it i told them told the doctor i don't want to go now i'll probably you know i i feel okay now i'll probably come after a few months if if I need. So you are canceling all these uh, health appointments and many surgeries are being postponed. I've heard some personal stories from some of my friends who have actually had to delay the chemotherapies of their parents and so on. So the healthcare industry also it is not completely positive. There are, there are negative effects and, and the doctors are facing so much uh, struggle. It's a big struggle for them. It's not I mean, it, it's not just a matter of business. They're getting. It's not a matter of getting a lot of business. It's more about the stress. The capacity is very low, and the demand is high. And the different uh, occupations among healthcare uh, they are being affected. It's all about COVID now. So all these are the different channels of uh, economic behavior. How the behavior of people is changing. The behavior of Companies are changing, behavior of governments are changing. In terms of government, they are coming, almost all countries in the world have announced their fiscal stimulus packages for rescuing the companies, rescuing the people at large, and putting in money supply, increasing money supply, QE kind of thing, liquidity injections, all kinds of things are happening. And again, people are debating whether, you know, how these things are distributed. Uh, are they going to help the poor people? or they are going to help the big firms? Which one is better? It's not always bad to help the big uh, big firms because if you, if you help the big industries, it's also going to promote employment. It's also going to pro- promote a lot of people. But sometimes uh, or many times, the money that goes to big firms goes to certain, just a few hands. No, it doesn't trickle down to the economy. So there are a lot of debates about that. Why don't you give money to the people so that we can boost consumption uh, rather than giving it to the companies. Then if you don't give it to the companies, how are they going to ramp up the supply? Maybe you're going to increase the demand, but how are you going to uh, address the supply disruptions? So there are uh, issues like that. So we capture all these different complexities. So as you can imagine, it is a very challenging set of things to model because usually we shock the supply side and see what happens to demand side or we shock the demand side and we see what happens in supply side now we see everything happening together right. so the entire entire thing is collapsing so it's quite uh, challenging to model uh, however after many weeks of uh, work we have made some progress and i'll be happy to discuss about some broad results we have, we, are, we, we have got so far as we yeah. go forward
1: I would love to hear it because it's very complex, uh, so many different things. Everything's happening, right? Everything's changing. And uh, I think uh, there's a lot of assumptions you have to make in order to, I think those are the inputs, those are the things that uh, variability is you put into the model, then you come up with some sort of uh, results. So I think uh, for our audience, maybe understanding the major things, the big parts uh, for the, the results of the coming out from your modeling, uh, that will be really helpful. And, but uh, remember, we are talking about uh, things that are related to U.S. and China. That's one of the major themes in my show. So I would like to have a little bit more emphasis when you share your outcome in this conversation. Tell us a little bit more about uh, the U.S. and China, these type of uh, countries, uh, what kind of impact uh, in it and uh, what's that. Uh, by the way, also give us a little bit more details on if you can, will you explain this about uh, what type of economic stimulus policies or stuff that the government comes up in these countries and how is that impacting the economy here?
2: Sure, Michelle. I will discuss the broad, high-level results. And as I mentioned, things are still evolving. Uh, We are still working on these things. So you you should, the readers or the listeners should take uh, all these numbers with a pinch of salt. But nevertheless, it gives you... The order of magnitude, as we say, like what is the broad extent of damage that has been created? So I discussed about all these different channels and we, in most of my studies, I've been thinking of uh, two different scenarios because we still don't know. It's still uncertain. Where is it going to end? When is it going to end? And so on. There are at least two ways of thinking about it. One way is, okay, let's say that they solved by, let's say, July or August. Near term, it is solved and... Everyone is happy going back to work and uh, things are getting normal quickly. In that situation, this sense I'm not saying that things are going to get normal quickly. I'm not talking about like what we call V-shaped recovery. By V-shaped recovery, we mean that we are going down and immediately are coming up. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that the bottom is already there. And either you stay in the bottom or you increase from there. That situation, let's say that that happens in July. Let's say that beyond July, we don't decrease further we either stay there or we start coming up, right? So that is one possible scenario. Mm -hmm. Another possible scenario is that this thing, situation lingers on forever for, let's say, until December, let's say. So then after that recovery can happen or maybe we just stay there. We go down and stay there or we go down and come up a little bit. That is not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to say how far can we go down? And after we go down, I'm yet to think about that. After you go down, are we going to come up? or Are we going to stay there? That is something that we'll discuss in the policy implication aspect. But this is what I'm talking about. Like two, two different scenarios on uh, like early return to normal and late return to normal. So these are two scenarios. So like, and, and there are also many other scenarios done in between, so I can say minimum and maximum. So instead of throwing one number, I can say, this is the range. So in that kind of range, I see I have got it for all the countries in the world, uh, pretty much all the countries. But I I will, uh, since here our interest is mainly on U.S. and China, I will focus on that. So for the U.S., things can be very different in these two scenarios, because right now U.S. is probably only going through, we are not even halfway through. Uh, we still have a lot to happen because the worst is not yet there in a sense. Or even if you say the worst is already gone, even whatever we have gone through are you know huge damages. And if we continue to have such huge damages, then things can be very different in these two scenarios. So when you say that uh, things will be resolved by July, uh, we are looking at already looking at something like, like half a trillion dollars of damage in terms of GDP for the US. And when you... Think of the longer persistence of this problem, it can be as big as uh, one and a quarter trillion or more than one trillion. So that could be the effect. So now if you just stop for a moment and think about our previous study where we did US-China trade war, if you remember the number, we said like in 10 years or 15 years, that would be the loss of GDP for the US because of the US-China trade war. So now we can imagine the magnitude. Whatever losses we were expecting in the, the trade tension in 10, 10 or 15 years, we can get that. We are staring at that kind of damage happening within a year. So that's a huge, huge, huge damage. Coming to China the damage has already happened quite a bit china is already on the way back to normalcy things have started opening up there are new cases but not many new cases but the economy has started opening up factories are started malls are open and so on so for china the longer you know, persistence of issue will not going to cost much because it's already you know recovered a lot uh, so in, in, in that sense in china the damage has already happened so in even in the short scenario the damage will be high because Already the damage has been done quite a bit. So that is again around uh, three quarters of a, million, a trillion. So the, the damage could be three quarters of a trillion, just or maybe 800 million, billion, 900 billion kind of number, even in the the quick resol- resolution kind of scenario. In the longer containment scenario, when when the, the resolution happens by December, by this what I mean is in China, in a way the resolution has already happened, opening up has already happened. But what about... The rest of the world. The rest of the world uh, is still bad and even in China, the effect of shutdown still is going to persist for some more time. People are still going to behave very conservatively, people are not going to spend immediately. And so if that those effects continue, then China also looks at something like a trillion dollar loss in the longer term, if, if this persists for a longer time. When you look at these numbers, it, it is interesting to look at these dollar losses. But it's also very pertinent to look at the the percentage, the relative changes. So for the U.S., we are looking at uh, 2 to 5 percent, 2 percent loss of GDP at the minimum and maybe 5 percent at the maximum. For Chinese economy, it's something between uh, 5 and 7 percent. So the minimum can be like 5% of GDP and maximum can be like 7% of GDP.
1: Interesting. So So why in China, the percentage of GDP loss is larger than the U.S.?
2: Larger because uh, it has been uh, suffering for a longer time. In China, the situation has existed for a longer time. So the the health-related damage is probably much smaller in China compared to the U.S., But the other uh, damage in terms of exports, imports, domestic supply side, this has been exposed for a longer time. Like if you say that the situation persists till December, for China, it is a loss of this whole year, one year of loss of economic activity. Whereas for US, it is probably seven, eight months, right? So that is why you see that the Chinese losses are actually, relatively speaking, they are higher in terms of dollar terms, US loss is higher. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the U.S. is a larger economy. So the absolute loss is higher for the U.S., but absolute loss is smaller for China. But China's economy is smaller. So the relative loss, the percentage in percentage terms, the losses are higher for China than than for U.S. And I think it is a similar logic as we discussed in the last episode of uh, U.S.-China trade war. Even the U.S.-China trade war, we had a similar result, of course, not in terms of the magnitude, but in relative terms. U.S. was losing a lot, absolutely, but relatively speaking, U.S. was uh, losing less compared to China. And Mm. China was losing relatively less compared to U.S., but in uh, percentage terms, China was losing more. So it's it's a similar similar kind of situation.
1: Right. And I think uh, uh, maybe also play here is the GDP percentage of, uh, in China, the export part, uh, the portion in the GDP probably is higher than U.S. Is that correct?
2: yeah that's definitely another thing, particularly in the longer term scenario. It definitely affects you know the fact that the rest of the economies the rest of the world is kind of closed uh, that affects China a lot, and China uh, depends a lot on the rest of the world in terms of export demand and and also imports both so yeah definitely that is also one reason yeah in, in summary, longer exposure and longer exposure to the to the world economy, so both of these actually affects uh, China more.
1: Hmm. Wow, a trillion, a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's a huge, huge impact. Mm-hmm. And in terms, I will also go further in terms of trade. Trade losses are going to be also pretty high. Uh, something like, uh, you know, a quarter to half a trillion dollars for both US and China. And, uh, yeah, and as, as you also rightly pointed out, that is a major driver of uh, GDP also. And in terms of uh, another important aspect is employment. And globally, we are looking at uh, something like 100, 200 million people, not people, but jobs that are being lost. Of course, here, it also means some of them are going to get their jobs back. It's a temporary layoff, but many of them also could be permanent. So it's difficult to distinguish how much of it is permanent, how much of it is temporary. But at the moment, you're staring at 100 to 200 million people losing jobs. And in China, it is like 40 to 60 million people losing jobs. In U.S., it is it is it is around uh, 15 to 30 million people. So this is a pretty you know huge impact in terms of employment, and in terms of percentage, the unemployment numbers can increase also quite a bit because these people are losing jobs. So it's it's we have something like five five to ten percent decrease in employment in uh, both China and U.S. So again here, China the predictions are more dire. Uh, U.S. Uh, it's it's relatively a smaller impact. But the impact is going to be pretty large for both of them, uh, as I mentioned. So that is the uh, employment. And then coming to the health uh, sector, uh, there could be a net gain, small net gain. But it's very, very small, actually. It's, we are talking about some $100 billion across the world. So for China, it is like maybe 2 to $4 billion. For China, uh, 25 to $40 billion in U.S. So the healthcare sector is going to expand a little bit because of these new cases, new developments, and so on. But that's actually not a big booster. That's no way going to reverse any of this trend. But the most interesting thing is the stimulus. All the countries have come up with their own stimulus packages, different types of stimulus, fiscal stimulus, liquidity injections, and so on. So we try to model all of them. And I from there, I see that uh, U.S. has given huge amount of stimulus and that also ha- is potentially, it can have a huge positive impact. So basically US is spending about $2 trillion in terms of stimulus. And we we talked about a trillion dollar loss. So almost all of that loss can be recovered. Almost 3 of a trillion can be recovered by stimulus. Uh, up to like uh, a minimum can at least a uh, half a trillion dollar of economy can be brought back. The maximum around three fourth of an economy can be brought back, three fourth of a trillion dollars worth of GDP can be brought back. So there is a positive effect of stimulus. Uh, for China, uh, the stimulus has been relatively small. So the impact also is relatively small. So we are looking at something like hundred billion dollars of GDP effect can be reduced. Then the negative effect can be reduced. So US has the very positive stimulus impact because of the sheer number of dollars you know pumped into the economy. Whereas for China the money pumped into the economy is not that high. So the, the recovery that can happen because of stimulus is relatively small.
1: I'm interested in going a little bit deeper on this and especially from an economist's eyes, right? These different stimulus packages that the two different countries are offering, how does this different components of that package is impacting what? Uh, For example, in the U.S., I know, you know, the government is printing money and give money to almost everybody below a certain income level right they all get this I think 1200 us dollars kind of things help us look at this more systematically from economists eye to see this stimulus of why it is working and this part is for what
2: so on the stimulus there are two aspects here the first aspect is uh, think about like you said just giving money to the poor people who are losing jobs, unemployment benefits and so on. So that is going to uh, lead to people are going to sustain their demand through the crisis, right? So at least, you know, people are going to have enough food to eat. The delay of uh, paying EMIs to the, the housing payments and so on avoids foreclosure kind of problems we had mm-hmm. into way back into 2008 for the time being, right? So all these things are, so right now the, there is enough fuel to run the economy. Right now, you know, people are like all the, the vulnerable population is getting due attention. They're able to get back some of their consumption. So now the second challenge is, you know, what about the supply side? How to make sure that once two aspects during the crisis, how to make sure that we are somehow making sure the demand people have enough money to consume. How about supply-side? How are we making sure that the companies have enough money to produce things, enough access to resources to produce things? So that is how the supply-side stimulus works. So some of the money goes to the companies. Some of the money goes to the people. So when these two things happen, particularly with the supply-side stimulus that happened towards the later part of the crisis, that can help the recovery. So then the companies can start investing aggressively for the future, and then once people start moving around, once the shutdown restrictions are gone, then the economy can recover. We can aim for a V-shaped recovery where we go down and immediately we start coming up. This is what happened in like uh, 2008, 9 In that crisis, we went down and then with all the stimulus, we came back in. So that is you know, one possibility. That is how we imagine that the losses are mitigated. Basically, it's all about we're losing a trillion dollars, so put in a lot of money to the economy and from the government and that will, you know, increase the, expand the economy. But then there are other challenges here. Like you said, you wanted to understand it more deeply. So this is kind of a superficial aspect. Like, yeah, if government is a savior, they give money and people are fine. But then government also doesn't have free money, right? It has to get money from somewhere. So one thing that will happen eventually is the taxes may go up because the money has to come from somewhere. Second thing is when you are printing money, when you're increasing money supply, inflation can go up eventually. Right. Uh, so inflation can go up and, and then you also have the budget sustainability. The government budget cannot be, cannot have such a huge deficit for a long time. So there are sustainability issues. There are three and then the debt, government debt because of the budget deficit. So all these issues are 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 important. and But then uh, all the politicians and economists across the world agree that this particular situation is very special. Many economists are divided on whether to let the government spend or not. Many, many, many people say, some economists say government should not spend. Some say government should spend. There are a lot of disagreements. But when it comes to this pandemic, almost all of them agree. They all say that we have to, you know, government has to come to the rescue of both the people and the companies to make sure that fundamentals of the economy come back uh, on track. So mm-hmm. the risk that the governments are taking is definitely you know, worth taking. And it also, it's, then it boils down to the question of how much risk can we take? That is an open question. And uh, in our analysis, that's why I told you that the government is pumping in like $2 trillion. But the effect that you can see in the economy is only around $1 trillion at the maximum. It's like half a billion to $1 trillion. So that itself gives you an indication that a lot of this money is kind of dissipating because of these other challenges inflation you know taxation and all these all these other challenges so there is a limit to how much the the stimulus can achieve that also doesn't mean that we should uh, stop doing that uh, we should do that in a very calibrated way so yeah that is kind of a little bit of a deep dive into into this All right.
1: So I would love to hear from you, your recommendations on the government policies, as well as, you know, what the businesses should do. Let's take a brief pause for now, Mm -hmm. and then we will come back with that.
2: Sure.
0: China is now the second largest economy in the world. There are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China. From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou. Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zo To call into our program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: All right, well, back. So with all these uh, numbers you have produced through your projection, your modeling, right? I know it's not something we should just read as a Bible. It's, it's something that it's just indicators and help us get a sense of a trend and the magnificence of the impact. But I think uh, just going back to the very first point, uh, why you do this, right? The point is, well, with this, then we look at the, what's the implication to the economy and what kind of recommendation or things that people can do. So let's drive into it. Let's first look at uh, from the government policies standpoint. uh, What's your recommendation to the policymakers here based on the result you come up from the modeling?
2: Yeah, so I talked about two different scenarios. One is immediate containment or immediate quick uh, reduction of the problems uh, uh, due to pandemic. Uh, maybe, for example, coming up with you know some drugs and vaccines to mitigate that. And that means that shutdown can be relaxed. That is the immediate scenario. And the long-term scenario is that it continues. We still don't have any solution. The pandemic keeps expanding. Mm. So these two scenarios, right? So from this, I can immediately say that Obviously, the I can say the obvious. The obvious is that the longer you stay in the crisis, the worse it is for the economy. What does that mean? That means that the government should avoid getting into this long-term scenario at any cost. They have to basically completely avoid the possibility of this problem, extending it to December or next year. How can they do that? First thing is, whatever they're trying to do, this physical distancing, has to be, like, earlier they called it social distancing. Then the WHO changed the terminology to physical distancing because we have to be, like, we are all connected now over technologies and so on. So we have to be connected. It's not, not talking to people, but it's about not physically being close, not always maintaining distance. So that has to continue for a sufficient number of days or weeks until we are able to contain it properly. So there is a trade-off. A lot of people are already saying that, okay, how long will you keep everything closed? How long can we keep the distance? Because we have to start our business again. The economic impact is bad. And some people even say, like some of the poor people i have seen some interviews and some discussions on the, in the media, and they say that, you know, we may not die of the pandemic, we may die of hunger. We may just die of, you know, lack of jobs, opportunities. So we need opportunities. We need to open up the economy, right? So so there is a big trade-off the policymakers face to open up the economy and to avoid the increase of the problems for a longer time. As we saw... Even for the economy, it's not good to let it linger for a longer time, right? So if you open up the economy all of a sudden today, then people are going to just mingle freely and then there could be millions of new cases and again, economy will be affected because a lot of people are going to die, a lot of people are going to be careful in terms of spending, maybe the industries may close by themselves, even though the governments are not telling them to close so all these catastrophes can happen, so we are starting at these two big policy options and big dilemmas that come, the governments are facing, should we open or should we close? So there I, I see that the reality lies somewhere in between, like all complex problems. Let's take some examples. Look at Germany, for example. They have been able to contain the problem very effectively by targeting suspected cases and avoiding the spread and also doing the shutdown carefully. And now they are thinking of reopening. So that is one model. Another model is, if you think about Taiwan, Vietnam, uh, they were able to totally contain the cases. And uh, particularly Taiwan has been able to carry on without much of a shutdown. They didn't have much of a shutdown. and Or, or if you take China, they had a long shutdown, but now they have reopened. Most of the economy is open. Uh, so with all these examples uh, for the U.S., I think, And if you take India, again, uh, India has come up with a very kind of a crafted response. They've come up with different stages for opening the economy, different parts of the economy. So from this date, divided the whole country into hotspots and, you know, uh, like unaffected areas. And they're gradually thinking of opening up the economy to the unaffected areas and basically uh, closing it for the hotspots. And even in the hotspots, opening up certain things, certain, in addition to essentials, some other things can be opened up so all these things are happening in uh, different uh, countries what i think is in our in the us we have to think about some kind of a middle path where the economy is opened gradually while keeping the physical distancing i also feel that the people are already you know accustomed to physical uh, distancing people are going to follow this this is kind of a training period we are all getting some training now and from now on, I think our response is the government says the people might follow to a large extent. So that is one aspect about the closing and opening. Second is about the stimulus. Stimulus is important and it has to be targeted. It has to, like we had enough discussions in the previous in few minutes. Uh, so stimulus is important. And I also feel that the Asian countries, particularly China, needs more stimulus. Probably more stimulus is needed for, uh, you know, pushing the economy to the positive direction. Another thing is getting into more of the digital technologies. Like we are doing this show using some of the digital technologies, cloud, uh, this kind of technology. So this can actually make sure large part of economy uh, can continue running. A lot of new technologies. Like This is also time for what we call as leapfrogging. For the past few years, we have been slowly moving towards the digital technologies like cloud, this kind of online working and uh, artificial intelligence, internet of things, blockchain and uh, 3D printing and so on. So now these things can become a big thing, uh, robotics and automation. So things that involve people coming together and working may probably reduce. And here also the government governments can think about promoting such new technologies. And lastly, governments also should think about strong uh, Protection of both income and employment. They have to come up with guidelines for companies to lay off. They should encourage the companies not to fire people just because of this. They have to promote positive sentiment in terms of uh, keeping the people intact for employment. And also, they have to promote income protection. They have to come up with some ways to make sure that the income, minimum, you know, basic uh, income is ensured for people who are losing jobs. So these are all important to avoid long-term problems from this.
1: Yeah. What is the implication to businesses?
2: businesses and yeah. especially,
1: what kind of advice that you can give to the business people so that uh, we would be able to sustain and uh, hopefully keep the business running?
2: Yeah, I think there are a few different things I've been thinking of for the businesses. So the first thing is uh, they have to first make sure to solve the current problems, the problems they are facing, whatever it takes. Uh, There are some kind of uh, cost budgeting methods. There are some accounting methods where they can sit and think about what are the basic Needs of their business. What are the minimum things they need? They cannot stop spending on. Hmm. So basically, they have to come up with the minimum viable spending. They have to continue doing to keep their business intact. How to keep their companies going on? Their businesses going on, although there is no demand, although there is not enough supply. How do you make sure that? What are the most essential things that have to survive? For example, you have really nurtured good talent. You have good uh, deal of uh, employees and now you are forced to fire some of them so at this point you have to really think deeper and keep try to try not to fire anyone uh, and in a sense you need some kind of empathetic approach to think about the welfare of the people the employees but more importantly there is also some selfishness here because like assuming that in a few months we are going to be back on track uh, then you will face the opposite problem. If you, you're firing people, then how are you going to get back the talent that you have nurtured over, over time? So think about all those things. Think about, w- prioritize the resources to keep, resources to sacrifice, you know, in terms of both human resources, people, and also in terms of capital and other activities. So that is the first thing. How to, what do you, have to do in the short term? While we are going through the crisis, what are the things you are going to change? The second thing is uh, how to come back after the the shock is over. How After this problem is over, how, what are your plans to revive your business? You have to really think about that. Not only think about that, already operationalize, set aside some money for upgrading some of your technologies. For example, a lot of people, a lot of businesses are already doing at least two, three things I can see. One is they are starting e-commerce. At least uh, I know one of my software friends said that many small companies, mom and pop stores are approaching them. To build websites, e-commerce websites, but they don't want like very detailed websites. They want a website where they can at least get the initial connection to the customer and then they can follow up through phones and so on, phone and other, other technologies and so on. Then they're also starting deliveries. Like they're also coming up with delivery options. They're teaming up with other technologies, other apps and so on. Yeah, so like is, a
1: restaurant, right? They are not uh, like before sitting in dining in. Now they do the delivery. Delivery,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just a a quick way for them to think about how they can continue run the business in a different way.
2: Different way, so. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. There are two. These two different points. First is the preserve the business. How to make sure, you know, what to keep, what to lose. Second is how to come back in the in the same like ongoing economy, how, ongoing crisis. How do you come up with, change your production strategies, change your delivery strategies, change your customer service strategies and so on, right? This e-commerce, websites, like many people are getting subscription to Zoom or Google Hangout, Skype team, Microsoft Teams and all these things, right? All these things are part of the second point where coming up with this new investments, new kind of thinking to uh, fix things. Then the Mm -hmm. third aspect is when the problem is over, how are you going to come back? How the economy, the whole demand structure is going to change? How are you going to cater to that? For example, many of the, the textile and apparel companies in India and other countries, they're already, you know, manufacturing masks and some of the medical textiles. And many of the auto companies even here, like Ford Motors, General Motors, all these companies are now manufacturing ventilators. Right. So this is kind of, in a way, it's kind of a return strategy. Like they're able to diversify what they are able to produce. All these companies. So that is another thing. How do you, how do you think about the return strategy? Mm-hmm. Although these ventilators and masks, these are short term. How do you think in the long term? What are, the, how are people going to change their demand? How are they going to? How are you going to think about those things? For example, a lot of work from home things are going to happen. So construction industry is going to have a boom in a sense that, like the professional or commercial construction industry may suffer because a lot of companies may have people working from home, but then the house residential construction industry is going to boom because everyone is going to look for houses with soundproof rooms, which you don't have now. Like even during this discussion, you may get some disturbance from my you know, kids and so on because I'm working from home. Yeah. Right? So, But then you need, you're going to think of those kind of technologies or services. So if you're a construction company, you have to f- quickly focus on those things. Okay, these are coming. So let's focus on developing solutions for these kind of things. How to make a room soundproof, how to build office in a, in a room, how to converse, convert a room into office room, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. So these are kind of strategies to come back after the thing is over. And another thing is about being very creative and imaginative and innovative, basically create new demand of new things. Again, this is all I'm going in a gradual, like I told you earlier, when I talked about what are the shocks, what are the behavioral shocks affecting the economy through this pandemic, I started with the short term effect and long term and went on to the long term effect. The same way I'm talking about the first two, three points were about the immediate thing. What do we do right now? And then, then I'm talking about the medium-term strategy. What next? After we come back, what do we do? Then I'm talking about even more futuristic things, like being more innovative, creative. Be ready for this kind of pandemics in future. How do we proof make our business resistant to any of uh, these kind of shocks in future? How do we quickly adapt? Like, how do we adapt to these things? For example, restaurants are already coming up with a lot of hygienic practices, how to they already have a lot of hygiene things, but now how, how to be more even more hygienic in terms of you know sanitation and all these things, sanitary uh, practices and so on. So mm-hmm. that is and also coming up with all these creative things. and maybe, for example, there will be demand for transparency. If you can openly, particularly when it comes to food products, if you have more transparency, if you reveal your rest, entire supply chain, what are you doing, where is the food going through, and so on, all the hygienic conditions. Uh, temperature, humidity, and so on, then people are going to be more accepting. So while people are going to eat out less, people will still eat out. If they eat out, they will only in the places where they can really see that everything is hygienic. There is no possibility of spread of any disease. So you need innovative practices to make sure that the customer confidence increases, right? So that is the imagination part of it. Uh, Then the last part of it, I would say you have to also change the way you're doing things it's not only about innovation maybe you have to give up some of the old practices and start new practices for example a lot of companies have been very insistent uh, people should work in the office and they have to change that and uh, you know say okay we can work from home we can be more liberal on that we can have you know video conferencing calls and so on so that is one and uh, as I mentioned things about delivery you can basically think of different ways of deliveries, basically totally changing the supply chain. So this is a little longer term thing. Like it's in the same spirit, but it's a little longer term. How do you get together with other companies, other uh, supply chain players and come up with longer term solutions, right? So these are the few things I would uh, suggest. So basically preserve your uh, budget, preserve your most important resources and do whatever sacrifice needed. That is the first thing. Second thing is, how to come back in terms of like different uh, things that you can manufacture, uh, different delivery options and so on. And then think about what are the new lines of business you can get into after you're back. And then you think about uh, very innovative practices, creative practices to either improve your what you're producing or change what you're producing. And finally, reform, basically. How to change the whole supply chain, backward linkages, forward linkages, work with other players and come up with major changes. These are the business strategies I can think of.
1: Wow, that's great. Uh, thanks for leading us systematically thinking through this. I think uh, that's the, to the end of today's show now. I want to thank you for being here again with us. And uh, we talked about this topic of understanding the potential economic impact of COVID-19. Uh, I want to also thank our audience for uh, being here with us. If you are interested in finding out more about uh, what uh, Dr. Badri Narayanan and uh, what they can do, you can go to uh, their company website. It's uh, Infinite Sum Modeling. And the website address is infisum.com. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. See you next time. Thank you for
0: tuning into In China with Michelle Zhou. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.